Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 66, The Last Gunfighter. You killed my three brothers, Tyler. That just leaves you and me. Take them, Tyler. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. Oh boy, couldn't we just uh, talk about about this? The time for talking through. Now's the time for hot lead. I'm sorry, I I didn't think that he. he uh, thank you, thank you all. Now let's give a big round of applause for the man who single-handedly cleaned up Coffin, Arizona. Tyler Means! And for those of you who missed it, Mr. Means will be reenacting his legendary shootout in which he shot and killed four Claggett brothers tomorrow at high noon! Can I carry your gun? No, you may not. Stevie, guns aren't things to fool around with, even if they're loaded with blanks. Oh, Mom! Grandpa T had a gun when he was 12. I'll tell you what, uh, Stevie. T, you've told enough stories already. One of these days, I wish you could start on the truth. But they were true. Or else they wouldn't have been printed in that Reader's Digest, would they? Stevie, not everybody can tell when T's telling a story and when he's not. It's uh, November 28th, 1957, and your name is... Tyler Means. T- yeah, t- Tyler Means. You're 82 years old, and you live in... Coffin, Arizona. Isn't that a nice name? Coffin. This place started out as a robber's hangout, and it was controlled by four vicious gunslingers by the name of the Claggett brothers. Anyway, it's apparently you rode into town with an old gunfighter partner of yours, and the next thing you know, we got into a shootout with the Claggett boys. Yeah, and you saved the town. But then you settled down. You're the BMOC, and all the townsfolks, they're very amused by your wild stories and your boasting and your bragging and your gambling and your drinking. But after a couple of decades of sponging, the townsfolk kind of get sick of it, and your tales get wilder, and you become a local joke, the town drunk. Let me lay it out for you, Mr. Means. NBC's been looking for a good idea for a new Western. They're very popular right now. Now, we read your story in the magazine, 
and it gave us an idea. The last gunfighter, the life and times of Tyler Means. Tomorrow at yeah. high noon, you get killed in a shootout. In a shootout? Yes. You've got to be kidding me. Who would want to shoot me? <laughs> me. So you killed the Claggett boys, did you? Ziggy says there's a 96% chance this is your old partner, uh, Pat Knight. Kind of like she and Lazarus, isn't it? And when you get killed, the TV deal gets canceled. And Stevie grows up, runs away from home, and becomes a hood. Spends the rest of his life in and out of jail. You are pitiful, T. I was the one who walked out into the street and fought the four Claggett boys face to face and shot them all, dead. Oh, I guess Tyler omitted that from his article. Look, I can understand now why you're so angry at me. What, what with the article and, and, and all? Angry doesn't begin to describe it. No man likes to have his reputation bushwhacked by his partner. The only thing that's at stake here is, is your pride. Now, you can't believe that it's worth killing somebody over a matter of pride. What the hell else did we ever have? Better get some more bottles and work on your fast draw. Well, howdy there, partners. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Come on in, set a spell. Who's here with us? I'm Allison Pregler. <laughs> and I'm rootin' tootin' Matt <laughs> <laughs> And that's about as good as this episode is going to get, everyone. Chris, you sounded like, you sounded like Beetlejuice doing a <laughs> Western accent. Whoa! Yo, I got demons running all through me. All through me. Come on down here and see it. Hey, hey, Jack, now, you get a free demon possession with every exorcism. Ah, you can't beat that, can you? I'm not a good actor. <laughs> and this is why I never bring out my accents on the show. Uh, you know what? It was pretty good, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. I um, suck at voice work. <laughs> I suck at, you know, trying to uh, be entertaining in a non-Chris way. And I guess it comes out as Western Beetlejuice. <laughs> I liked it. I, I dug it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Can you do the rest of the episode like that, please? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sing for you. <laughs> you will not. Stop teasing me. <laughs> well, welcome, everyone. This is the Quantum Leap Podcast, and we are discussing that rootinest tootinest of all episodes, The Last Gunfighter. And Matt has been very vocal about his feelings for this episode, both on and off <laughs> mic, so I, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> I've never heard Matt like just down and out pan and hate something, but he might ambush this episode while it's in the outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. He might like it, you don't know. <laughs> We, we all let's let's reveal for the audience here. We we all do try and hold back our comments before the episode so we get all the reactions on mic. But this this was a tough one to hold back on. I've got to be honest. I, I said some things in Messenger that maybe I regret. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny that this this silly episode is is evoking such a reaction in you, Matt. Because isn't it true that I, I think like every genre show that I'm aware of anyway, they always do like an Old West episode. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost par for the course that we have to have a Quantum Leap Western. I'm surprised it took them to season four to get to it, to be honest with you. <laughs> Although, wait, well, Widowmaker, 
And Tess, that could have been a Western episode, but it wasn't a cowboy episode. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing can really be better than how the Tess was won. I mean, <laughs> how could they top that? <laughs> this this is a show that is built on nostalgia for the 50s and 60s and 70s. They didn't need to do a Western episode. None of the viewers were alive in the Old West. Sorry, I've started early. <laughs> <laughs> He's been waiting to vent for two weeks now. We had to, we had to take a break because because Matt got sick, so you had to stew in it longer. Yeah, I was lying there in my sick bed thinking about this. It did not help me recover. <laughs> Just like with a fever in bed, like oh, last gunfighter, no. Is is that how I sound? Look, I only got one British accent. <laughs> I think my Western Beetlejuice is more accurate to the way you sound, Matt. (laughs) So, you know what? I'm going to break format then, because I usually invite Allison to give her initial impressions first. But, Matt, just just have at it. You're vomiting the the vitriol. Just just let us have it. Okay. Can I just start by saying that, because I know we've all been waiting for for this to come up. This is not my least favorite episode. It is not. (laughs) Well, I weep for your least favorite episode. (laughs) We're not that. No, it... It's not bad. I give it a tough ride because I really do not like westerns. And I do, and you're right, Chris. Every genre show has to have a western episode. And I roll my eyes when it comes up. And I never watch pure western movies. And yeah, the, the whole the whole genre just really puts me off. So it didn't get off to a great start for me. Once you can get past that, there's there's some fun parts. The the, the plot is actually okay. I I'm I'm not gonna be too harsh on it. It it's just the fact that they the, the fact that it's a Western episode at all. As I say, I'm I'm immediately biased against it. And I know they do this a lot in in season five, but this this is one of the first ones where they really break the kind of. Right, he he's going to leap within his own lifetime, and that's because it's a big nostalgia trip. They kind of stretch that a lot by having these very old characters reenacting stuff for the West, just to really force that Western theme in. And at, at this point in the show, that seems really off kilter. I, I think by season five, when they were being a bit more experimental, this it would have been less noticeable. But no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. How about you, Allison? Does Allison say yes, 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 yes? Well, here's my thoughts. Of all the Quantum Leap episodes I've seen, this is one of them. <laughs> and that's the show, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed it. Zoe, come with the credits. <laughs> sure was an episode of television, I'll tell you that. Can't deny it. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Well, <laughs> oh, it's funny because. I was so happy that I had a week to think about this episode, an extra week to think about this episode that Matt got sick because I honestly was thinking this is, might be the first episode of Quantum Leap that I really have nothing to say about it because like you, Allison, it sure was an episode of TV and <laughs> Matt, I think you touched upon what finally dawned upon me, why I could not nail this episode down. And I think this is the very first time in the show where they came against their own rules of leaping and wanted to break them so badly. Mm-hmm. And they did like a contortionist act yep. to figure out how to do that because they really wanted to have Sam in the Old West, but they knew they couldn't. And as a result, 
the the episode is a real mixed bag for me. I think as an episode of Quantum Leap, it's fine. If you get past the fact that they're acting like it's 1886 instead of 1953. Yeah. Once you put in the fact that they're in 1953, the whole premise is just ludicrous. It just falls apart on the face of it. I believe it was 1957, right? Not 1953? Basically the 50s. Not that that really matters. <laughs> Whichever year it was. Were people still quite happy to watch a couple of old dudes go into a, a genuine gunfight with each other where one of them was going to die and not think of calling the cops? Everyone just watched. Yeah, they're just like, let's see how this pans out, man. <laughs> Some old dude's going to die. <laughs> 50s were wild. We all have the same basic criticism. Yeah. Y- you know, I don't think it was, it didn't bother me that they were breaking the rules. Like, I, it wasn't really breaking the rules, but it did bother me, like, that no one else in the episode seemed to care that these guys were going to kill each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is as if we were going to a run fair and all of the SCA reenactors were really running each other through with yes. swords yeah. and jousting. Yeah. And Just a flesh wound. Wow, cool blood. There, there really could have been <laughs> something cool to be mined from this in that it's it's really playing on the 50s nostalgia for the 1800s, <laughs> you know, yeah. for like the old Western times. Um so there could have been something to that because, like, in the 50s, every little boy wanted to be a cowboy. It was huge back then. And um maybe people were, had a different kind of attitude because it was still within people's memories at that time uh, about it. Uh, there there could have been something really interesting. And I, I never really thought before this episode about what cowboys did when they got old and it started becoming uh more quote, modern times Mm -hmm. (laughs) transitioning into that. I never really thought about it. Um, I just don't think it ever really got to that super interesting point I would want it to get to. It it was just sort of like, all right. (laughs) Well, in, you know, in your defense, every cowboy you've ever seen on screen has ridden off into the sunset and you never have to think about where they wind up and who they become. And I think that Hmm. The first movie that's the first movie that I saw anyway that tried to deal with that was Unforgiven, uh, with Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman, and it basically took uh, the man with no name character that Clint Eastwood became famous as playing the, in the spaghetti westerns, and gave him a name and gave him a history and a retirement and showed how ill-equipped he was to step away from that life, and if they had sort of mined some of that thematic. Material. I wonder if Unforgiven had come out at this point, because that was an early 90s movie, if I recall correctly. Am I wrong? Let's look that up. But am I the only one that's seen Unforgiven? Matt, I know your answer. Allison? Yeah. <laughs> you are the only one. <laughs> All right, so now I'm going to step back and ask, in general, um, let's just talk about Westerns for a second. I hated Westerns growing up. Could not stand them. There was a huge resurgence of Westerns in the mid to late 80s with movies like Silverado. And uh, there were probably others. But I remember that's prime theater going time for me. I was going to the movies a lot because I was in my teens. And it seemed every other weekend there was a new stupid Western premiering. And we would go see it because there was nothing else. But (laughs) as I got older, I started watching those spaghetti Westerns. And now when The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is on, you can't get me away from the TV. I've seen that movie a hundred times. And I will 
gladly watch it on a loop. And, you know, fistful of dollars, few dollars more. If you get into more of those gritty Italian spaghetti westerns, like, those to me are amazing films. And Clint Eastwood really sells them. And all of the supporting cast in them are amazing. And I love watching them. So I don't hate westerns per se. I don't hate westerns. But, like, TV westerns, eh. I'm not going to sit here and watch Chuck Connors as the Rifleman. You you ain't watching Bonanza? (laughs) (laughs) What about that sweet Bonanza movie Dean Stockwell was in that no one saw? Is that why he gave the little Joe shout out? Hey, you look familiar. Didn't you come out on Bonanza? That was Haas. Oh, Sam, I just saw that guy from Bonanza. I think that was past Quantum Leap. Though I think he might have done a couple episodes of the original. Um, well, see, when I was growing up, uh, my dad really likes Westerns. So, um, I used to think they were very boring when I was a kid. So I grew up watching them, but not because like, I've never seen any of the classics, but I did see a lot of pieces of Westerns and stuff. And there are like Western adjacent things, um, that I would sit and watch a lot. Like I would consider Tremors in that sort of genre. City Slickers. Mm -hmm. I love City Slickers. Yeah, City Slickers is good. All right, I'll give you that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. back up, back up. I, I, tremors? I would consider Tremors in that kind of Southwest Western genre. Whatever. Even if you don't, City Slickers, I think you would count. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Here's the, I love Tremors, and I've just never considered that possibility. So I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. It's just that's fascinating to me. I never even thought of it in that way. I mean, I guess it's more of a, a Southwest horror thing, and it's not. It's certainly not a period piece, but. Um, I, I would consider it kind of in that genre, but, but regardless, like, I, I like a, I like a Western with a good twist, but there's a lot of boring Westerns. And, uh, just this week, uh, I've been watching, um, the Gambler series <laughs> with Kenny Rogers. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, they made five movies based off of that one damn song starring Kenny Rogers. And, um, they were, they're so boring. The thing is, they're so boring. And this episode wasn't that but it was it didn't have an interesting enough hook because it actually it wasn't really much of a western to me to be honest like i mean it was two old men who were gonna shoot each other (laughs) and argued a bunch but it didn't really have any of those elements that i i might find interesting in a in a western just to go back briefly i i just had to check something on wikipedia before i uh risk making a fool of myself um tremors 4 is set in 1889 that's true. Tremors 4 is more of a Western. I haven't seen it. I've only ever seen the first Tremors film, which I love. Um, but yes, I, I, I thought I was like, I'm sure there's actually a Western one somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. It's got uh, Billy Drago in it. Do they still star Michael Gross? It does. It's his, uh, it's his uh, ancestor. Yeah, as, as his own ancestor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Tremors 4 is, is uh, a guilty pleasure movie. It's not great, but <laughs> I can enjoy it. <laughs> it's better than 6. <laughs> 6 was bad. How many are there? Uh, they're making the seventh right now. <laughs> That's its own cottage industry now, isn't it? It is. Holy crap. Well, good for you, Michael Gross. You keep on working. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's a weird opinion to consider it sort of a Western. I have seen more Western Westerns. <laughs> yeah, it, you're right. It does have a very Southwestern flair. But I guess you can say the same thing about, like, Maximum Overdrive. So, is that a Western? No. Yeah. Uh, all don't right. ask me maybe where that Tremors came up. isn't a Western. <laughs> Strike that from the record. 
No, I won't. Take my no, Western, of it as a Western fandom away. I'm not even a West. <laughs> I wouldn't say Western fan. It's just if you have a Western with a good twist, I'll really enjoy it because I do like uh, action adventure stuff. And maybe that's why this one didn't uh, resonate with me because it's not it's not really about that. Okay. So do you guys want to just unpack it a little bit? Maybe talk about some of the stuff we did see on screen and whether or not we like Westerns, how does this speak to us as, as a Quantum Leap episode in and of itself, whether or not we buy the ridiculous premise? Um, I think they did have some themes that they played with here. Uh, the ones I wrote down for the rundown that we have in front of us are, you know, like courage and honor and taking responsibility for your actions. And the other one, I guess, is, is resting on your laurels, living in the past. Hmm. Uh, I think that they mined some of this stuff to pretty good effect. One thing that I did like was Sam as Tyler really relating to his grandson. Mm. The way that they did it was kind of neat because you know that Tyler would not have said the things that Sam said to Stevie yeah. because he's too wrapped up in who he was and basically alcoholism. You know, we talk about like transference of personalities during leaps. When is the last time we saw Sam get just totally shit face drunk? <laughs> is this the first time in the series i don't know if they've ever shown him drunk before this i don't i don't think we have have we yeah no that's what i'm wondering you matt you you wrote the book yeah no i i'd not consider that but no i i not not to the point where he's that out of control we've we've seen him have the occasional drink i'm sure something like play it against seymour i'm sure he he knocks back a couple here and there but <laughs> well he has to <laughs> no i think i think you're right shit face drunk this might be the first time oh no uh the end of the leap back part two or the leap home part two. Oh. oh yeah that's right but that was more of he was in mourning at the end of vietnam a life for a life yeah yeah, yeah. no you're absolutely right about that good one this was a comic drunk yeah, comic drunk, TV drunk yeah, yeah. is yes. the way I like to put it. <laughs> and you'd think that like that would get old because we've seen it so often, but I think Scott played it just right. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Stevie. There's a hole right there. Watch that hole. Yeah, the fact he's like warning Al about it, like, watch that hole. <laughs> it was so good. And I'm just wondering, though, you know, if, if you think about how Tyler probably usually comes home how many times poor stevie has had to put that old man to bed mm -hmm. and just turning what was sort of like a trope tv comic moment into a trope tv heartfelt moment does that make sense mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah well he's trying to give one of his heartfelt speeches while drunk which is pretty great <laughs> but i think that saying the words trope that's really what plagues this episode for me because like Allison, you said before that you like Westerns if they have a twist, but I think you like anything if it has a twist. Mm -hmm. That's not true if it's a bad twist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. But it's still a twist. All right. So I don't mean to speak for you, Allison. But to make the point I was making is that the real chief sin of this episode is not the contortionist act it did to pretend it was in 1890, but not in 1890. It was the fact that everything was so by the numbers that you knew where it was going right up until the end. Yeah. And the only thing that actually surprised me in this episode, and I thought, ah, that's how they're going to get out of it. That's how they're going to beat the last gunfighter, is when uh, Knight, Pat Knight, who is played wonderfully by character actor John Anderson, when he put on his glasses to shoot 
when Sam was practicing. I loved that. Yeah. And for sure, I remember even when I was watching it the first time saying, up, oh, they're going to get his glasses, they're going to break them, and he's not going to be able to see, and that's the way that they're going to save him on sleep. And, yeah. and they didn't. And that really surprised me. I think it was, it was, it was kind of a, a neat twist in itself that Sam actually stood and drew and won. Yeah, but no, hang, hang on, hang on. I wasn't <laughs> okay, going to get, yeah. no, I wasn't going to get to this bit until later, but you've brought it up. I mean, here's the thing. I don't know what later is because what else do we have to talk about? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, Chris, you've obviously seen a lot more Westerns than me, so you may be able to explain this just in a way that I can understand. Firstly, they've, they've been through the whole episode saying there's, there's no chance that Sam can beat him. Right. Not only does he beat him, but he beats him and freezes halfway through. Surely Pat's in the moment. He's getting his gun out. Sam stops. Pat's just going to shoot him. D- no, really? Um, it's about honour. How... <laughs> but how, yeah. But it's about the speed that he's doing a quick draw at. Would he really notice that Sam had stopped and then stop as well? You're right and you're not right. Okay. Please correct me because I don't I don't get it. No, no, because if it were like Tuco facing off with uh with Blondie or with Angel Eyes, Tuco would just shoot him in the face. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. But he's he's the ugly. So, you know, you got the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sam is the good. So he is going to draw, and he's not going to fire if he sees that the person doesn't have his gun drawn. But here's the thing is, is Pat is an Old West guy. He knows that Sam has the drop on him. If he keeps drawing, Sam will shoot and kill him. So he knows the jig is up regardless um, in this alternate 1950s where you can just shoot people dead in the street, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Anything can happen. <laughs> Just like they took down the claggy boys. <laughs> you know, but but I can see Pat saying, all right, you know, you got me. You got me dead to rights. But th- that fast? That's that's lightning speed reactions. But you got you, you to gotta think of this. If you are in a draw with somebody, your eyes are probably laser focused on their hands because you got to see where that gun is in relation to your gun. So... I can I can hand wave that away. Do you, do you not just in in a quick draw? Do you not just get your gun out as fast as possible and shoot? Why would you be watching anything besides their chest and aiming for dead center? I I don't know because in a quick draw I would be <laughs> dead before I even got my hand away from my waist. Yes. Forget about getting my gun out of the holster. Okay, fair fair point. <laughs> well, I mean, who's paying attention to where their hands are when uh, when there's graboids coming? I just don't. <laughs> um, I really like John Anderson a lot. I've seen yeah. him in um, in a few things, and like he's always really great. Uh, most importantly, he was the villain in I Man. <laughs> The, the 1986 pilot huh. movie that uh, Scott Bakula did, where he's an invincible man. What? I've still never seen that. It looks so good. I don't even know. What are you talking about? There was a pilot movie in 1986. I believe this was Scott Bakula's first project yeah. ever uh, outside of theater. And um, it was a, a Disney movie uh, called I Man, where he uh, he inhales some space gas <laughs> when the NASA van <laughs> crashes at his son's uh, football game, as you do, uh, and it makes him invincible, so he can heal. And so they sent him in to take out this, uh, well, not take out, but like get back this uh, weapon that's been stolen by this eccentric millionaire. <laughs> Who lives in this wood-paneled castle manor, uh, played by John Anderson? 
<laughs> Alison, I've got to ask something. This this is off topic, but has every film you've ever seen had that ludicrous a plot? Because it, it 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 feels like whenever you explain the plot of a film, it sounds it's it's on that kind of level. Iron Man is ludicrous, and I love it. I've seen it so many times, and it's on YouTube. Please check it out. Um, Scott Bakula is tremendous in it. So good. All right. You heard it here first, folks, or maybe second. Uh, I heard it here first, anyway. I still don't know if I'm going to be watching it. Anyway. <laughs> Watch Iron Man, Chris. <laughs> I did sit through an hour of The Last Gunfighter, so Iron Man can't be worse. <laughs> Iron Man is so much better than Last Gunfighter. Oh, my God. It's got the kid from Flight of the Navigator in it. Cool. It's got a theme in it that's just two notes on a harmonica. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I like John Anderson in this episode of Quantum Leap. Um, I did. I like some of his lines too. He's like, "Sure, I'm gonna hate having to kill you." <laughs> in fact, he's got a a bet with the sheriff which way that Sam's gonna fall when he dies. <laughs> I, I love John Anderson in this, and I I love the character. There's some great character moments, but I I find it hard to take him seriously when he he rocks up. It, it's the first time he rocks up. He's covered in dust and cobwebs like the character yeah. himself has been sat in a cupboard for 50 years love he was just perpetually dusty i noticed that too i'm like why is he always dusty because you're getting into you're going from now this is visual cues you're going from because if you notice you see him in the background looming like the grim reaper like grim death himself and this is the shift from 50s amusement park town to 1890s Old West death trap. Mm-hmm. This guy comes up in a duster like he's been riding out on the plains for the last 50 years. That's why it's called a duster. <laughs> exactly. He's got the black jacket and, you know, it's very black hat, white hat kind of thing going on. And this is the shift into the spaghetti western. This is the shift into the into the gritty Old West instead of the, the Back to the Future 3 Old West. It, it was actually pretty uh, clever. Um, I don't know if it's clever, but uh, nice attention to detail in that contrast there between Sam's like dime store costume yeah. and uh, Pat Knight's uh, duster that's clearly well worn. He's had it for a long time. Like he's he's been out there doing this stuff. But what was he doing? That's what I want to know. He was hanging out with the Claggett sister. It took him too long. <laughs> it was longer than he expected out there comforting her after he killed all her brothers. <laughs> that must have been one remote ranch house, let me tell you. <laughs> I don't know. 1950s, uh, out there in the middle of nowhere, Coffin, Arizona, I would believe it. Because, look, I've seen video from places in Arizona that, that I lived from like 10 years previous to when i saw the video and it was nothing was out there really okay yeah and like i don't remember when exactly arizona even became a state (laughs) it was one of the last (laughs) ones too like um yeah you can be just out in the middle of nowhere with nothing especially in 1950s so are you from arizona allison or did you just live there for a while that's where i grew up oh really well that's interesting so how did how did how did they portray arizonians were you offended I wasn't offended. There are ghost towns and people that do reenactments and live off of that stuff. I think Coffin, Arizona is is one of them. I do believe that's a real place, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I think it's real. <laughs> I don't think they make up towns in Quantum Leap. Oh, they do. <laughs> Let's see. I'll look. They definitely do. Oh, they do. They do. Okay, let me look it up. 
I only know this because I tried putting together a map of all the locations. Coffin, Arizona, is it? No, you know what? When I look it up, it just comes up with Quantum Leap stuff. It's it's not real, yeah. I guess. <laughs> well, take away my Arizona card. Um, <laughs> but there are definitely like ghost towns and western towns and stuff like that. It sounds like a plausible name. Yeah, yeah I mean, if there's a place called Tombstone... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's evocative of Deadwood, Tombstone, Coffin. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's an old Westy thing. And uh, you can keep your Arizona card. I don't think anybody wants it, Allison. You're fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't grow up near Coffin, clearly. <laughs> so, I mean, let's... I, again, it's it's just going to be... I knew this would be sort of a nonstop dunk session, to, to quote Allison. I love that term. You, you, you introduced that into my lexicon, and now I can't stop using it. But, um, <laughs> I mean, is there anything redeemable in this episode, aside from, I think, one of Scott's better drunk performances, that we can point to? It, it's a little heavy-handed at times, and but I I like the pacifist anti-gun message that comes through in this episode, which is quite refreshing for a Western. And it, it's one of the primary reasons that Westerns just don't do it for me. I, I just can't be bothered with the, the excitement over people shooting each other. And Sam goes to such lengths to, to talk about um, and to try, to try and avoid getting into this gunfight, not just because he's going to lose, but because he is a pacifist at heart. So I, I like the fact that they use this episode to address that. That's all I've got. I really liked the the scene with uh, Al teaching him how to shoot. By the way, yeah, <laughs> he's telling that story about uh, that quick draw artist, Fifi Boom Boom Larue. <laughs> I had the best quick draw artist in America teaching. Really? Yes, really. Her name Her was na- Fifi Boom Boom Larue. Al, she was a stripper in New Orleans. She had the finest matched pair. Al. Of- Matched pair of 44 pistols. She had them in little sequin holsters, real cute. It was part of her act, but she could draw. Let me tell you, I know, because I studied her. Yeah, I bet Very you... Very close. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> that sounded like somebody Fonzie would have dated on Happy Days. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I did wonder about that scene, too, like how quickly... Um, Dean Stockwell picked up the quick draw stuff because I'm sure he had to to learn some of that to do the episode, which was interesting. I'm wondering myself because Dean Stockwell grew up on screen, so you got to figure a lot of the stuff that he did throughout his early career was probably studio westerns. He did a couple western movies and some western TV stuff. I've seen those actually. He did one in 1950 called Cattle Drive, I think is what it's called. That was when he was still a child actor. Which is a stupid movie, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but entertaining enough. And he also did one when he was older called Gun for a Coward, um, <laughs> which is also kind of dumb. <laughs> and you've seen them both? I've seen them both, yeah. Gun for a Coward. He looked really good in that movie. <laughs> they gave him a cool outfit. He, w- he was the brother of the titular coward um, who was uh, mad that his brother was such a damn coward. Yeah, so maybe he learned some of that stuff there, but certainly it had been a long time in between that. Yeah, well, I mean, Dean was uh, really good in this episode. And once again, we have Al's ludicrous past rearing its head to teach Sam things. And I think even at this point, the show was winking at itself in the fact that how much more shit can Al really know? But at least they put it in a good lecherous context because you know that gunslinging wasn't the only slinging going on with uh, Fifi Boom Boom LaRue. 
<laughs> no, the stripper from New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, I think there was probably something more going on yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Al looked so cool in that scene. He had the trench coat, the white hat, the southwestern shirt, the red pants, the gun at his hip. Yes, yes, yes. I am here for this. <laughs> um, I, just going back to something you said a moment ago, I, I just uh, just remembered E was on location during the filming and did a little feature on it. And Diamond Farnsworth did say that Bacula and Stockwell both had to be taught how to do quick draws. That's cool. So, yeah. I think, like, this is this might be me just uh, misremembering something, but I think, like, Dean Stockwell is pretty quick at picking up uh, uh, physical stuff when he's got to learn it. Like, um, there was a movie he did called Stick Fighter, <laughs> which was in the Philippines, and it was about, like, Arnis, which is a fighting style using sticks and um he had to learn a different fighting style for this movie but he loved arnis so much that he just picked that up like while he was there like he's like i'd rather learn this (laughs) and then for a while in the 70s he was just like teaching it in his backyard and so there was like this this article from this martial arts magazine I read that that highlighted he was like a black belt in it, and he was just like slinging back beers and teaching Arnis in his backyard to all his friends. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing! It is a long and storied career. I love Dean Stockwell so much. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's probably why he could pick up the quick draw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, uh, Scott Bakula can do anything. Scott is very versatile, and I'm wondering if, like, his his dancing uh, Broadway career helped him with some of these moves. And one thing that um, I absolutely I, – I, I had to suppress a chuckle was at the very end when, of course, the sheriff apparently is not going to stop him because he's, he's in 1890 instead of 1950, <laughs> and they are going to kill each other in the street. They look over to the display case, and – he comes out in the outfit that's in the display case. You're going to want your dueling outfit. <laughs> it reminded me of every CW show where all the heroes' outfits are like in alcoves, specifically lit until they're ready to go out. And I always wondered, like on Arrow, all that shit is there lined up against the wall, and then they have an emergency and they have to run out. How much time does it take for them to take it off the mannequins, get into the costumes, <laughs> get out of the bunker, and actually do what they have to do? <laughs> it, at least in this, this makes sense, though, because he's set up as this hero figure, and in ghost towns like that or old western towns, you, you would find stuff like that on display of historical note oh yeah no no sure i'm not i'm 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 not again it just it just brought this weird cw association with me i'm sorry i guess maybe because the only thing i had watched before this was crisis on infinite earths so that will date this podcast for people in the future yeah you know (laughs) there was this uh, part i really loved when um when alfer shows up and uh and meets up with sam Sam is so proud that he thinks he's like this local hero or something. And Al just zings him with that fringe company comment. Nice! Really stylish. Awesome. Fantastic outfit, too. What happened? Did Tonto and Bill Hickok have a collision? Very funny. I happen to be a local hero or something like that. You sure you're not a walking ad for a fringe company? Oh, man, he got him. (laughs) (laughs) He just deflates. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a very 1980s Bon Jovi outfit. <laughs> yeah, it was a really cruddy costume. They did a good job <laughs> making a very cruddy costume for him. 
All right. So another juxtaposition they tried to bring into this episode was the fact that he's selling a story for the TV and they have the TV executive there. The guy from NBC. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Saying that Westerns are very big. And it was weird because I'm thinking Westerns weren't big in the 90s. Oh, that's right. They're in the 50s. You know, wagon train to the stars and all that. Uh And it was nice to have another legendary character actor, I think still busier than Scott Bakula to this day, Kenneth Tigar, who played um, Ben Steiner. He's been in everything. I mean, just, just everything. And I wanted to jump through the screen and shake somebody because when Stevie comes in, as you knew he would in the fourth act with the gun to face off with Knight... Steiner is the only one that says, Sheriff, are you going to do anything? This is literally the equivalent of like Sheriff Andy Taylor <laughs> letting somebody gun somebody else down in cold blood in the middle of Main Street in Mayberry. I do love when he just goes in the middle, like he just walks into this duel like, excuse me, I don't I don't really understand what's going <laughs> <Right>? on here. <laughs> but And this is where, and then I'm just like, okay, so finally reason is going to rear its head here and the sheriff is going to stop this nonsense because obviously this guy is going to murder a child. <laughs> and what happens? The, the sheriff takes a half a step forward and Knight just flicks his hand, his right hand, like, don't worry, I'm not going to do anything. And I'm like, okay, so Knight realizes and nothing's going to happen. And then Al comes in and says, oh yeah, this guy's going to shoot him to death. It... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is going on with this episode? What What is happening here? How can this happen in 1950, even if it's a remote town in Coffin, Arizona? That's why, I, to me, this is they just so badly wanted it to be out of Sam's lifetime. They wanted to have a real Old West, and they couldn't. They just couldn't. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you had Jean-Pierre doing, like, Dollywood, and them having to pretend that it was all serious, and it, uh, it's just, it just so, it, it made my head hurt. It, it never really felt like it had that much weight, even when they say like, oh, he's going to shoot so-and-so or kill so-and-so or whatever. Like it, it, it never felt like it, it got that serious. And it, it kind of felt like, um, they were going through the motions a little bit, uh, watching the episode, uh, even down to like the acting. I don't think anyone was really bad it just didn't feel like they were that invested except there were a couple bad line deliveries from dean stockwell though i don't know i think maybe maybe he was off somewhere else in this episode but <laughs> except that pistol scene i like that scene. i see now i i don't know if, if i buy that i think that everybody who was in it did a, a really good job um as a matter of fact we've spoken to someone who's in it um susan isaacs who played lucy means uh stevie's mom and uh i guess it's uh, tyler's daughter and we're going to be featuring some excerpts from that interview after the break uh, because Alby talked to her I, I guess about a year ago now about um, this episode and another one she was in. She was in Heart of a Champion. Yes, she was in Heart of a Champion. She had a much bigger role in this one. but She was better in this because Heart of a Champion was I didn't like it. Yeah, she had she had <laughs> half a scene in Heart of a Champion. She really had not a lot to do. Yeah. In this one she had a much, a much better role and she was fine. I think that Jerry Potter as the asinine sheriff was fine. I think that John Anderson was amazing. I think that the kid who played Stevie was fine. I think everybody did a good job, but the fact that 
the episode just doesn't work because it doesn't fit in with the premise of Quantum Leap is is what makes people stand back and say, yeah, not this one. If if Sam was able to leap to the Old West, this would be a perfectly serviceable episode of Quantum Leap. If this was Time Tunnel yeah. or, or Back to the Future or, or, or whatever. I do wish that they had been able to or, or make an exception in this case like they uh, we know that they do later because it, yes. it would have been a more satisfactory episode i think it's because you know know, like you said they were stretching because they wanted to do a western but they can't so it's sort of like almost there but not quite and that that later exception is so much better handled because of the way they go about it and you you do have that it feels a lot more real and and all these criticisms we've got of this episode are not there for that other one and i feel like we owe this episode a debt because I really enjoy that other one, and we'll get to it in season five, everyone. But mm-hmm. I feel like this one stood out as a time when they said, how can we try to do this? How can we expand yeah. on the premise and still make it fit within the rules? And they came away from this one saying, everybody did fine, but this is an example of how not to do it. Yeah. So let's let's take it back to the drawing board and rethink it. I'm thinking the only way this might have worked is if they had slowly shifted in realization, and I'm just thinking of this now, but... They always say Sam could only leap within his own lifetime. What if he could only leap within the lifetime of the person he leapt into? Then it would work. Hmm. Right? I never even considered that. That would have been an interesting Mm -hmm. workaround. Yeah, right? But then, like, then he could just leap into anyone in any lifetime and be like, I leaped into their lifetime. And then you break the premise of the show. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just trying to get a leg up here for a last gunfighter. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. I'm just I trying mean, to be fan geek. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But nice try. Uh, hi ho, silver. Oy vey. Oy vey. I didn't like that line delivery. That's what I was thinking of when I was like, I didn't. I don't know. There was there was also uh, guns don't solve anything unless you're the last man standing. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say this. This is the first time I've actually focused on a radio above the plot. There was a sweet little white radio <laughs> in the kitchen of... Really? Really the first time? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, you know why? Because I've been so invested in trying to... Because I'm not doing radio settings anymore because I'm the only one that cares about them. Oh, no. And how many heart-to-hearts are we going to have in the kitchen between Sam and Al about Stevie dropping out of school and becoming a, a hood, you know? So there was just just front and center on the shelf, a little white. I don't even know what the hell it was, but go back and watch. It's a little beautiful white. It's very deco. It's got to be something from the 20s or the 30s. But I didn't realize you'd consciously stop doing radio sightings. I'm going to start a petition to bring them back. All right, but I, I don't have the time to just scour the internet to hope to find a match yeah. like I used to. And like I said, it, it's of interest to nobody but me, and I like to keep this podcast streamlined, so I'm doing it for everybody's benefit, Matt, really. I think you and maybe Albie are the only two. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do it on 11-22-63, and Skipper would literally fall asleep at the microphone while I was... <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he start a running segment where he said, shut up, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't shut up. It was, and get ready with the bleeps. It was, fuck you, Chris. That was the running right, segment. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And the whole the whole conceit of that was that anytime then he saw a radio on screen, it would take him out of the narrative, and he would be like, "Oh, fuck you, Chris," and he'd have to rewind and go back. And yeah, so, 
That became basically a catchphrase of our show. It was fuck you, Chris, and because show. I wanted to sell uh, t-shirts with both of those on them, but <laughs> Skip bailed on me. Uh, so we never got to build that empire. So let's get a catchphrase for this show. Diaper monkey. I thought, but we digress was one of the ones we were working on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would pay good money for a t-shirt that says My Mommy on it. It wouldn't come across without without Alison's voice, but I would still pay... My Mommy! I want, yeah. I want that on a t-shirt. Is there a way to put, like, when you open one of those uh, greeting cards... That's supposed to go in there! <laughs> the greeting cards that has, like, the song in it. Could we put a t-shirt yes. where you press a button and it's Alison just saying... <laughs> I saw my mommy's autopsy and all I got with this t-shirt! <laughs> And dreams is the gift that just keeps on giving. Yes. Gosh, everything's so scattered with this episode. <laughs> like, I watched this episode twice in preparation. I'm so sorry for this I- because I, <laughs> yeah, I had to rewatch it, and then like nothing retained with me. Like, I barely. I'm so glad I have my notes to look at, but half of it, I'm like, what? Oh, I guess I wrote that down. <laughs> I, I got, I got kind of some stuff in here. I uh, I wanted to say I liked when Sam was um <laughs> when he was he was trying to come up with a plan, but he was like too drunk to do it. But he thought it was really clever. Like he's like, oh, I got a plan. Don't you see? There aren't gonna be any gunfights. See, I got it all figured out. Huh? So, listen to this. I'm gonna get him thrown in jail. See? That way, there there won't be any gunfights. No yeah. gunfights. No, you still get killed tomorrow. <laughs> You're like, no, that's not gonna work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one plan he had, like, ah, jail. You know, what, what I said before about it feeling like going through the motions, I don't want to, like, um, say the actors didn't do a good job, though I, I do think that there were some questionable line deliveries. It just kind of felt like it, it was serviceable. You know, like, it's like, all right, like there were there were some uh, performances I really like, like John Anderson. I do really love, and I think he did a great job. But uh, overall, like there was nothing really that standout about the episode. Well, I think that you just nailed it right on the head. This is in even if it was, oh, I don't know, in some way more realistic about the way that they built the danger of the shootout. At the end of the day. This is still a very perfunctory Quantum Leap episode. It's it's just come in, situation, complication, resolution, leap. And none of it is very compelling. And I think that the reason that you find it serviceable is because it is a genre trope. Not science fiction trope, but Western trope. The shootout at high noon. And it's a story that we have, even though we don't like Westerns, we've all seen it a million times before in different iterations. And sometimes it works, most times it doesn't, in my opinion. So it, it, it's almost like a TV show deciding, like you said last week with Temptation Eyes, Allison, every TV show in the 80s had to do a stupid Chinatown <laughs> episode. It was always about the triads, it was always about the opium dens, it was always about seedy, you know, underworld organized crime this is very much in the wheelhouse of your classic western and if you don't like that kind of thing this episode is just everything you've ever seen before done exactly the way you've seen it done before 
I mean, I'm trying to think of other shows that did like Western ones. I know Supernatural did one where Dean traveled back in time and he was dressed like Clint Eastwood and they all thought he looked like a buffoon. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, Back to the Future did it. There's just some kind of love affair with, with these boomers who grew up in the 50s watching these Westerns and watching these serials. But there's also something to be gotten from the fish out of water time travel stuff with that kind of stuff that even though Quantum Leap is a time travel show didn't quite get there because like when you're talking about 1950s versus the wild west it's such a a disparately uh different um experience like if if you go out in the west and you're used to like modern conveniences even from 1950s um you're just completely out of your element there um and that's part of the fun i think of some of these these shows that do stuff like that and um quantum leap doesn't quite have that same thing i mean there's a lot of nostalgia involved and there's a, obviously an adjustment but it's not really about like oh no you're you're stuck out of time out of place exactly if that makes sense <laughs> mm-hmm. it does because you're right because sam is remarkable at adapting to a given situation and then taking charge and trying to find a solution they don't mine a lot of the fish out of water stuff and they haven't really since since season one if you think about it, they did it a bit in um, in Genesis. They did it a bit more in Starcrossed. And then after that, you sort of get into the groove. He figures out what he's got to do. He does it and he leaps. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time he, he leaped into a very elderly person? Um, yeah, I mean, b- before this, they, they there was certainly a spec script where he was going to and that never happened. Yeah. Um, what about Jesse? Jesse Tyler? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, he was a bit older. Yeah, I don't know. They just don't. They don't do that very much. Where he leaps no. into a very old person. No, not at all. And I think that um, even Jesse Tyler is is a completely different sort of leapy than Tyler means. Yeah, sure. But they're both named Tyler <laughs> in one way or another. Oh. Huh. <laughs> we just discovered that on the Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> Next time he leaps into an old person, let's see. Is it also a Tyler name? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, yeah, you know, that's that's interesting. I wish that maybe they, they could have played on that a little bit more. But I think at this point they had established, well, I think to most fans anyway, that it's a body leap and not a mind leap. So I think that um, playing with him being frailer, yeah. Yeah, I wish they'd done more of like an older person or a, a like a younger person too, because it it didn't tend to be that wide on the spectrum, like as far as ages. We never like saw him in high school. Wouldn't that be interesting? With his with his gang with Screech and I don't know any other Saved by the Bell names. I'm sorry, guys. By, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's part of Zach Attack. <laughs> I knew Zach, but I wanted to save that for for Matt. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I think that might be a fault of just the writing room because it's probably tough to build um, conflict around a Mm 13-year-old. They did it somewhat in another mother, but he was the mother in that. So in Runaway, he was a uh, he was around that age. A Runaway, he was Butchie. Yeah. And when you think about the talks he had with his mom and the the influence that Butchie had in that episode, it kind of strains credulity mm-hmm. because we're seeing Scott Bakula, 
they're seeing their 12-year-old son or their 13-year-old son talking about the feminine mystique. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that they realize that maybe while it might be interesting, it comes across as, as problematic. No, but that happens all the time. That's the beauty of Quantum Leap, right? Like someone acting completely out of character because it is Sam Beckett. Like, why is Wild Thing and, um, you know, the animal frat... Uh, talking about the anti-war stuff and being all intellectual when he's like just this party and frat dude, you know. In Runaway, uh, we brought this up when we did that podcast too. Like me and Matt both had uh, similar conversations with our mothers. So, I mean, like, Mm. it's not that uh, straining credulity there. But I mean, that would be part of the fun stuff if it was crazy. Like, you know, if it was, uh, he was like a a five-year-old, but he was like... (laughs) Just talking like a 30-year-old man. <laughs> I think that was part of the um, that unproduced uh, comic about him leaping into a baby. That was yes. part of the plot of it. He was like a toddler and, and he, he like would talk like a normal guy just with like these kidnappers <laughs> to like yeah. just mess with their minds. I wish that they could have explored that on the show because when he was Bobo, he was speaking, but all they heard was chimp gibberish. If he had leaped into like a baby, like they wanted to do for the, you know, the, the mythical season six, what would he have sounded like? Would they have just heard goos and gauze or would it have been like freaky demon baby that can, <laughs> com, you know, complete a sentence? Well, I, th- I think in the comic it was like he could say some words and that's why he could talk, but he generally didn't unless he was like messing with someone. But, uh, I mean, granted, this is a comic, so who knows what they would have done on the show, but um, I would think it would be like if it was just like a baby that could not speak. It would be like with the monkey, like where you just don't, we're the ones that hear it, but not everyone else. Mm. And the fact that we've gone down this (laughs) cul-de-sac really points out the inadequacies of Last Gunfighter. (laughs) Where where would you guys want Sam to leap if, like, if if they... uh, just did not have these rules and it could be anywhere in in time and space and whatever <laughs> i mm, i would like to see a future leap going beyond sam's own future a, a, a proper future future leap but in terms of times in history i think the 20s would have been certainly visually uh, a really appealing time to visit yeah that'd be cool I could imagine Jean-Pierre doing something really good with that. Ooh, yeah. Think of the glamour. Yeah. And Matt just stole my answer. Um, (laughs) I'd love for him to, and not even just the 20s, but the 30s and the 40s. I'd love to see like a World War I leap or a World War II leap. Yeah. Um, And and some kind of of far future leap would have been been amazing. And I think that they could have gone there in season six if they had broken the rules like they sort of alluded to when the show ended, you know, or changed the rules anyway. How about you, Allison? I would have liked to see a proper Western. Uh, that would have been cool. Or uh, maybe like a medieval leap. That'd be fun. Oh, that's, see, there you go. Yeah. Knights and horses and <laughs> castles. Well, if you want that, you can read the novel Knights of the Morning Star by Melanie Ron. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's with reenactors. So isn't that kind of uh, the uh, the last gunfighter of, yeah. of medieval <laughs> leaps, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did like that one, actually. That one had some good stuff with the uh, the evil leapers in it. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was uh, more Zoe in that one, right? And uh, Aaliyah. I th- maybe it was Zoe in it, too? 
Yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't remember. It was so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Got to be 20 years that I read that book. Easy. You know, it's 20 years since I read my book. I saw your book on eBay the other day and they were trying to sell it for like, for like 40 bucks. I'm like, no way, man. It's crazy. That's more than it would have cost in the day. No way. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I was just talking to somebody about this because it occasionally comes up that I've written a book and, you know, in my workaday life, people don't know. I don't talk about them because, yeah, I'm a guy. I wrote a book 25 years ago. You want to hear about it? (laughs) Um, But. They said, oh, where can I get your book? I said, good luck. Try to find it on Amazon. Try to find it on eBay. You might get it for one cent. You might get it for $30. And I was thinking about it when um, Foreknowledge basically went out of print. Berkeley contacted me, Ginger, uh, the, the editor, and she said, look, we have we have copies of your book here. We'll sell them to you for such and such cents on the dollar or whatever. At the time, I was an idiot, and I said, what, 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 I, why would I buy my own book back from you? Now, I know if I had those copies, I could sell them for like 20 bucks a pop yeah. at cons, <laughs> signed, you know, personalized, and I, I just, I, I smack myself in the head all the time. Plus, you could be like every author ever and get interviewed on video with like 200 copies of your own book behind you. I mean, I tried to do that. I do have three copies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got two copies of mine now. But um, I'm, not, I'm not willing to give them up. And if you guys are out there looking for the books, you can probably find them for cheaper than 40 bucks. Just wait. Just wait. They'll pop up. You can buy them in lots for like 40 bucks for all of them. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. And if you want, I'll autograph every one of them. I'll just sign Aww. different names. <laughs> Whenever we meet in person, you got to sign my book. Yeah. <laughs> if we ever meet in person, Allison, I, when is that going to happen? We all need to meet in person. Maybe the final episode of the Quantum Leap podcast. We got to do yeah. that. We got to do that meeting in uh, in Arizona at the. Yes. Uh, the uh, yeah. I'm there. Recorded at Bell Rock. Yeah, Bell Rock. I couldn't think of the name. Thank you. <laughs> is that the Mesa, the Flat Mesa? Yeah. Yeah. Which is um, not that far from uh, where my parents are and, and where I grew up. Perfect. I remember those sweet pictures that you posted with you in front of the Quantum Leap Mesa. It was pretty cool. That mountain from before they switched to the Mesa, the, the glowing blue mountain in the Saga Cell. Is that is that a place? Is that a real place? Well, obviously the footage is from somewhere, but <laughs> uh, I, I have no idea where that's taken from. I'm going to hazard a guess and say it's not from the area. I always thought that was an illustration. You always thought it was an illustration? I'm pretty sure, it, I mean, it might be a still photo or something, but I don't think it's okay. a fake. It's a fake. It's a fake. It's a fake. <laughs> oh my gosh, this episode just went off the, like, we didn't care about uh, talking about Last Gunfighter. We didn't. I mean, but who does? Who would? I mean, so, final thoughts? Yeah, in our defense, it's the last fucking gunfighter. Uh, that's my final thought, you guys. It's all right if it comes up in the rotation. There's there's a few things that I like. Uh, like I like the the drunk scene. I like the the pistol scenes, but that's about it. It's just sort of middle of the road. And I I wonder if I would like it more if I liked westerns in general. I I do wonder if I give it a hard time just because of the genre and my feelings about it. Um, having spoken to you guys about this for the last hour or so, I think maybe not. And at the risk of repeating myself, Matt, no, liking Westerns is not going to make you like this one better because it's just it's just a Western done poorly. Um, I think that uh, if we had been able to break the rules and if the danger was genuine in a genuine setting, it might have 
elevated the story a little bit, but unfortunately they couldn't do that and they came against the wall of their own rules. And as a result, the episode just doesn't work. So I think that we're all in agreement that Last Gunfighter is basically an artifact of when you had 22, 23 episode seasons of television and you had to fill something in week after week after week. So, okay, let's do the Western episode. Uh, It can't be any worse than Fistful of Datas. Maybe. Oh my gosh, Fistful of Datas is so good, though. Yeah, (laughs) I actually don't mind that one. I bet Data could take out the Claggett boys. (laughs) And Deanna Troy on a date. Oh my gosh. She looked great in that episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I admit I've only seen like half of that because my tolerance for Alexander is just this side of my tolerance for Last Gunfighter. You're a coward, Worf, if you don't go in a duel with Data. Everyone's going to know you're a coward. On that note, we will be throwing to a break. Uh, when we come back, we will feature highlights of the episode that we did with Susan Isaacs, who did play Lucy Means in this episode. She spoke to Albie a good long time ago, and it'll be nice to revisit that. And we also have some feedback and some new Patreon patrons. So uh, stay tuned and we'll see you on the flip side. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the Quantum Leap Podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. Now you look just like me. Do I? Kind of. You know, if I could even from the front, if I could do dialogue, I could have your job. <laughs> I take care of Scott Bakula. <laughs> I make sure uh, that none of the actors doing any kind of physical stunts get hurt. And I set up all the stunts. And uh, like I said, I double Scott when something really dangerous comes up to be done. Most of the time, he, he does all of his own stunts. He's doing a gunfight today, I believe, and, you know, quick draw and stuff. So we had to teach him, you know, to learn how to quick draw. And him and Dean both, actually. We brought in a specialty guy who does quick draw and uh, to show, to teach them how to, you know, do quick draw and teach Dean how to twirl the gun and twirl it back into his holster and draw it out with it caught. Scott picked it up just like like a duck takes the water. And Dean, he, he came along real well with it. He had to practice a little more than Scott, but he, he got it down pretty good. This is a great old gun. Wait, I pulled the straps down so I couldn't get it out. Yeah, he's a quick draw artist, so, you know, gunfighters. But this is a beauty. This is made in Texas for the show, along with his fabulous, great, little cool holster and everything. You know, see, I should have clothes like this at Halloween, when I would have something for Halloween, but I never do. Usually in a dress. Okay, rehearsal. You should take your cue off of Scott, so this is what's going to happen. Dean's going to say his line. We're going to drop. In the pocket of a skirt. Okay, and that'll be the key to open open the coat for the gun. Take a piece. No, no, yeah. Throw your cigar and open yours. And that'll be it. Is that enough for you there? 
Rolling, teamwork, and action. Sam, you're too close. And Scott. Hi, I'm Diamond Florenceworth, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey everyone, we're back, and as promised, here is our interview with Susan Isaacs. Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us on the Quantum Leap podcast. It's an honor to have you. It's a delight to be here. Quantum Leap uh, fans probably remember you best from The Last Gunfighter. Could you tell me how uh, you got involved in Quantum Leap? I remember going to callbacks at Universal in the big giant ziggurat building in Universal. And I remember I had gone in and then came out and Susan Bluestein, the casting director, said, hey, you come back and do it again. So I knew that was a sign that somebody in the room was rooting for me. It was probably Joe Napolitano, um, who directed both episodes. And I think this may have happened. I can't remember if this was the first time or the second time. Like he was like, no, I really want her to do it. But I remember Susan coming out and saying, we need you to go back in and do it. So I knew I was in the right place. And and that was the second for Don Belisario, too. So, But it was just a delight to work on that show. Joe Napolitano, he was my director for both of them. And we filmed The Last Gunfighter at Stevenson Ranch, which was a very famous ranch area. I'm sure it's now a bunch of housing that had been used for many Western-themed TV shows and films for quite a long time. But as L.A. spread out, you know, eventually it got bought up by some big developer, and it's, it's no longer there, sadly. I was just so, it was such a great, fantastic show. Just such a wonderful show. And I was just so really, really happy to get it. I think I remember I had just gone apple picking, and I was, sitting at my kitchen table with my sister and my mom had come up and we were like drilling through a bunch of apples on one of these apple corers when I got the news that I had booked it. So yeah, that's what I remember about booking that show. It's like, I got a quantum leap. And so I had to um, put the apples aside for a bit. Mm-hmm. I think we had collected like a bushel of apples. Oh, wow. I remember yeah. going apple picking when I was a kid. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you feel when you uh, did you get a call to come back, or did you have to audition uh, for the uh, Last Gunfighter? In both cases, I mean, today you just put everything on tape. You rarely are in the room with the producers and director, but back then, yes. So I had to go to Universal twice in both in both cases. Now that I think about it, I think that the time that Susan called me back into the room was on the Last Gunfighter, the second one. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's really odd. You'll go into a room and you'll feel like you totally nailed it and you don't get it. And other times you'll feel like you walked out going, well, I didn't get that. And then you're called in and you book it. But yeah, in the old days, when you really saw people face to face, then you had a real audience to play off of. But the second time, I mean, I felt confident to go back in. But the second, you know, it's not wasn't like a recurring. I wasn't playing the same character. So it's like, really, they it's okay for me to come back and play another character, and they're all right with that? I mean, I knew that Joe really, you know, he was a big champion of mine. He's a delightful man. Just a, the sweetest, most delightful person. They, they all were. I mean, Scott Bakula was just a gem. So sweet. Every time, the first time I came in, he was just always, hi, I'm, I'm Scott, and I'm so happy to have you on the show. He was that way with everybody. 
And then when I came back, he's like, it's so great to have you back. Oh, and awesome. He, he was just a really thoughtful person. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Just, he was just one, you know, he was just an Indian among Indians. On your uh, second episode, were you more excited to go back? And what was it like having a much bigger role in the other episode? It, it was one of those things where, I mean, when you're, you're just happy to work and you get paid, it's like, oh, wow, I got a lot to do here. And um, especially in that, that uh, um, bustier and that outfit, it's like, wow, it's sort of, it's sort of glam because I, I I've always been a character actor, never got something that was remotely glam. But the fun thing was being able to go on location and to go to that very famous Stevenson's ranch. And the other thing, the guy playing the villain, he played a very famous part in a Gunsmoke episode. Mm. He was the bad guy in a Gunsmoke episode that I had to edit. When I was in film school, we had to do an editing. We had to take one scene. And this was like the standard editing scene that editors, student editors had to do was you had to edit this shootout scene from this Gunsmoke episode. And he was the villain in that. So when he showed up, I'm like, wait, I know you. You're in that Gunsmoke episode. That was so, that's the one thing I remember about that. And he passed away. I think that that, that the, the last gunfighter was the last piece of work he did. He was quite old um, and he passed away the following year. So it was really special to have him on the set and be part of that. Was he nice? He was, you know, these old Hollywood guys who were just workhorses who I, I wouldn't be surprised if he started off as a contract player. He, he was, you know, he had a lot of great stories and he was a sweet man. I just, I remember also Joe gave me the, um, Joe Napolitano, the director, gave me the, the nickname Squinty <laughs> because like I don't, I never sweat much. Um, you know, I didn't have to constantly be patted down, but if I was in the sunlight, I just couldn't help squinting. And Joe taught me the trick. If you look up at the sun with your eyes closed, your pupils will adjust even, and, and then you can open your eyes. So you don't squint as much. But I still squinted. <laughs> so he called me. He's called me Squinty from then on. Do you have any more stories or little uh, anecdotes from the set of Quantum Leap or anything that happened to you because you were on Quantum Leap that you could share with the fans of Quantum Leap? Well, one thing I will say about Quantum Leap is they always had an end of season party, and we all went bowling wow. in uh, the West Valley, and even the guy from Last Gun Fighter was there, and that was. Probably the last time I saw that, the, the guy who played the, the villain, because he passed not long after that. But one of my favorite moments was bowling with Scott Bakula and, um, and Joe Napolitano and um, putting on those stupid shoes. <laughs> I have a great, great memory of that. And there, there are some shows that don't have that kind of camaraderie, but Quantum Leap had that. And they made you feel like a family. Awesome. That's the first time I heard that. I didn't know about the bowling. Yeah. Bowling with Scott Bakula. Yeah. You just made a lot of people yeah. jealous. <laughs> oh, I do have a Polaroid. So I think that the makeup artist took a Polaroid and she she took an extra one. And I've got Mr. Cutie Bombaluti of Scott Bakula behind me. And that sat on my refrigerator for many years. And people would come in and like, oh, my gosh, is that Scott Bakula? <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. You're very welcome.
All right, guys. Like, pretty cool to hear from her again. Mm. It's always nice to hear what a great guy Scott is. And, you know, if you can go bowling with Scott Bakula, <laughs> then, it, you know, you're a hero to me. So thank you, Susan, so much for um, sharing your memories of your time on Quantum Leap. That brings us to some feedback. And, guys, we're on a roll. We have a new patron on Patreon, sort of. And let me explain this. Um, there is a person who has been supporting this show for going on six years now. He goes by the handle Cosplay Dad, but his real name is Tom. I don't know if I want to say his last name because he didn't volunteer it with his Patreon donation. But Tom and I are friends on Facebook. I know that he's been talking to Albie for years, and he's been supporting the Quantum Leap podcast, I think, since like the first or second episode. He's been with us since the beginning. And for whatever reason, he decided to up his support to the Leaper level, which is $5 a month. So because of that, Tom, Cosplay Dad, we are giving you a shout out. Thank you to Cosplay Dad, everybody. Yay, round thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dad. we really do appreciate your support and uh just let me know tom on the next episode i'll say your last name and uh point people to your facebook page because tom does a lot of cosplay as you know evidenced by his handle cosplay dad and it's frequently hilarious my favorite one of him is as ariel the little mermaid (laughs) like lounged out on a rock with the starfish bikini and everything so (laughs) wow he's really cool he also does an awesome who's the curmudgeon from up i don't know up but uh I believe that is Mr. Up. He does Mr. Up really well. So big ups to Tom. He is uh, now at the Leaper level on Patreon. Thank you so much for all of your support uh, throughout the years. And thank you for continuing to support the show, even though it's changed radically from when you first became a fan. So we're happy to have you still with us listening. And um, speaking of patrons, uh, we have Matt's biggest fan is back again. (laughs) Ben Kirkham, who we uh, welcomed into our Patreon family last month. He heard us talk about him on the show, and he really got a kick out of hearing us talk about him. So he sent us a nice email, and I figured, hey, let's read it. So I'm going to let Matt start this one. We'll do our regular round robin. So Matt. Don't make me read the first paragraph. No, I have to. (laughs) uh, so, So Ben says, hi. Thanks so much for the mention on the Temptation Eyes show. I blushed. Let's spearhead the Matt Dale fan club campaign. Matt's passion for the show reignited my love of it, and his book is an extraordinary labour of love that deserves a wider audience. Aww. Here, here. Uh, available at tmebooks.uk, I might add. <laughs> I've enjoyed all of your podcasts so far, and I'm really looking forward to getting into season five. I have lots to say about that season. Well, I think we do too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, big time. uh, I'll say without any shame or embarrassment, I absolutely love dreams. All of your comments uh, about the episode are valid. (laughs) My mommy! (laughs) And I can't really disagree with them, but I love the episode as a one-off experiment for the series in its wildly different style. I first saw that episode on a repeat showing when I was 13, late at night, and it terrified me. The anthology-like nature of the series is wonderful. Don't like dreams? Okay, another episode with a lighter tone is coming next week. Brilliantly diverse. Anyway, bring on The Last Gunfighter. Not an episode I'm too fussed about, except for the presence of one man, the late, great John Anderson. And again, we've been talking about John's performance on this when we were talking about it. You heard Susan talk about him in her interview, and um, now we have Ben really singing his praises. Um, I think that Susan mentioned it. This might have been his last 
performance. I know when I looked on IMDb, Quantum Leap was the second to last, and then there was an episode of Jake and the Fat Man. But he had like like hundreds of of performances under his belt, and I really I I I, hmm. I know that we dunked on this episode a lot, but you cannot argue with the fact that John Anderson was terrific in it. So I'm glad that we got to see him in Quantum Leap and got him to do, I guess, maybe something he does really well, which is play like a rogue or, or a cowboy or, you know, it's no Lance Legault. I'm sorry, Allison. I know that you have a soft spot for Lance. <laughs> <laughs> no, John Anderson's great. Everything I've seen him in, he's elevated the material. And he was in a really great episode of um, The Next Generation as well. Um, I mean, he's done a, a ton of stuff, uh, so this is not like... <laughs> Fistful of Datas? N- no, he didn't. He wasn't a cowboy in that one. He was... Um, Which... Um... That episode... It was the older couple who was uh, on the planet, and there's just the two of them left. And then he's... Uh, survivors. Yeah, survivors. And there's the like the music box that's messing with Troy, and uh, the lady who was Roshan, his wife in that, was... um. She was on Quantum Leap a couple times. She was in Single Drop of Rain and uh, Eight and a Half Months. Eight and a Half Months, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, he's so good in that. I, I yeah, he it was, was uh, Kevin Uxbridge was his character name. And he was a man of special conscience. <laughs> 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 yeah, but he was really good in that episode. I saw, I saw him in some sliders, too. <laughs> he's been in a ton of stuff. <laughs> Never mind, though. <laughs> Never mind, though. I don't know. We, we, we've had calls to do a Sliders podcast after the Quantum Leap podcast, so... Yeah. I believe... I don't remember if I'm conflating things or not. If he was a character who was replaced later in Sliders with Neil Dixon. Do you remember this, Matt? No, I'm, I'm not so good with my Sliders trivia. Until I write a book about it, um, which which may still happen. <laughs> they're, they're... Uh, I, I can't remember a lot of Sliders <laughs> okay. stuff. Well, there's, a, there's an actor that I, I really like who uh, was in the show yeah. um, that I enjoyed called She-Wolf of London. And he was brought on to Sliders to replace this uh, villain that had been there a couple times. It might have been John Anderson. It might have been someone else. Anyway, he chewed all the scenery. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> John Anderson's great. <laughs> well, if you want to be like Allison and digress about uh, John Anderson and uh, your Quantum Leap fandom and how wonderful Matt is Aww. and uh, be like Cosplay Dad, please reach out to us. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. And you can also hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And as always, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. So now that the rootinest, tootinest, I don't know, lacklusterest episode of Quantum Leap in season four is, is Past us. Matt, what's next? Next week, it's a song for the soul. Just do a reprise, Cherie. Come on, Cherie. No, no, I don't, I don't. Let's go. Oh, boy. I don't have a pun for that one. I, uh, I sometimes I do, but this I, I just I couldn't. I, I think that Sam in the Supremes wig is pun enough. And yes, exactly. I was trying to think of something to play off of Supreme, but I just uh, I didn't come up with. I'm thinking it might be supremely better than 
Last Gunfighter. Mm, yes. Wow, I should have thought of that one. I'm looking forward to this one because this one reminds me of just Quantum Leap's sweet spot. I have warm memories of Song for the Soul, and as always, I haven't seen it in who knows how long, so I'm looking forward to rediscovering it with you guys. Yeah. Well, since we had a song and dance leap, too. That'll be good. Right? Not since Glitter Rock. So what Patreon bonus is this going to spur? Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we had a little bit of it. I don't know if you would call it a song and dance one. The one with um, the the older lady that he's with. Oh, for once in my life, I can't stand this friggin' 70 soft rock. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess Sam wasn't doing any of the, the singing and dancing. Really, like, I just missed Al teaching him how to dance. <laughs> Quanta Lagusta, baby. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so you got it. Lots to look forward to. Yes. All right. So um, until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Distractable Pregler. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been Matt Dale. Matt Dale with lots and lots of piss and vinegar, and we absolutely love it. And uh, we will see you next time, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Hi ho, Silver. Oy vey.